You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM. Quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Welcome, welcome everyone to Movie Night with Sif. Our guest today, Andrew Ahn, is a Korean-American filmmaker born and raised in Los Angeles. After graduating from the prestigious Brown University, he enrolled in the California Institute of the Arts, where he earned an MFA in film directing. He's certainly put his education to good use. Since 2010, Andrew has made no less than six films and directed several episodes of shows like Cult Favorite Generation and This Close. You might have seen his debut feature film Spa Night, which premiered at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival. And SIF fans out there will also remember his stellar film Driveways, which played at SIF 2019. Now, after directing multiple film fest favorites, Andrew's trying his hand at something a little more rambunctious with his new film, Fire Island. Written by Joel Kim Booster, Fire Island is an LGBTQ2 romantic comedy starring Booster himself alongside SNL's Bowen Yang and comedian Margaret Cho. It also features How to Get Away with Murder star Conrad Ricamora as the charmingly uptight love interest. An unapologetic modern-day rom-com, Fire Island showcases a diverse multicultural examination of queerness and romance inspired by Jane Austen's classic Pride and Prejudice. The story centers on two best friends who set out to have one last legendary summer adventure with the help of Cheap Rosé and their squad of eclectic friends. And now to talk about it, Andrew Ahn. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Hi, I'm doing all right. How are you two doing? We're doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, let's get started here. Um, We have some questions about your frankly excellent movie, which I've seen three times now. (laughs) Cool. Thank you. First off, uh, who do you think would win in a fight? Bowen Yang or Joel Kim Booster? I think um, Bowen would actually uh, win. Bowen! There's like an underdog mentality, you know, that just, it's like fight or flight, you know, like he would just somehow uh, tap into something feral and it it would result in Bowen on top. For sure. (laughs) I can see that happening for Bowen for sure. By the way, um, if you haven't seen Joel Kim Booster's new special, Psychosexual on Netflix, you have to see it because it's amazing and it's so good. It's so great. There's a lot of really funny people in this film. You got Joel Kim Booster, who wrote it, Margaret Cho, who's a legend, and uh, SNL's Bowen Yang, who I don't watch a ton of SNL. I became aware of Bowen Yang when on SNL, he gave a shout out to Kim's Convenience, which is this like CBC Canadian show that we all love here. So that was mm-hmm. really awesome. But just with all those comedians on set, it must have been really hard, like keeping a straight face, shooting a lot of these things. Did a lot of people break on set? Was there a lot of laughing and like losing, losing takes? There definitely were moments, you know, but I also think that because our shooting schedule was so ambitious, the cast was pretty professional about things. We had to book it, you know, we <laughs> didn't have a lot of time. The cast just had so much fun with each other and, and like would break at the most random moments. I actually think maybe they broke more during like the dramatic scenes than the comedic scenes. But there are a lot of ad libs uh, in the film that were figured out on the spot, you know, and some of those are, you know, my favorite lines. Do you have any specific moments that were improv? I really love Matt Rogers. He improved a line. Can I trade anybody a Crest White Strip for a prep pill? Shut <laughs> up. Um, Do you know that I have an entire question dedicated to that line? Because it's my uh, yeah. favorite line. <laughs> oh, my line. God. What yeah. a genius. Man. I know. I know. That's that's a really great one. I really love when Tomas Matos, who plays Keegan, after the sun sets, uh, says, I'm proud of you, girl, you set, you know, like, that's just like, lovely, authentic shenanigans, you know, a a lot of really fun, peppered in moments that, uh, you know, like, I 
cannot stop kind of laughing about. I think the idea of somebody saying to the sun, see you tomorrow, girl, is possibly the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Just at the end of every day, like a gay goodnight moon. All right. <laughs> I also wanted to ask you, um, there's some pretty wild scenes in this film, which I appreciate. Let's keep it real. You didn't shy away from showcasing what actually happens on Fire Island. Were there any scenes in the original script that were just like too crazy for the final cut? You're like, no, I, this can't. Nothing too wild. You know, there are two orgies in the movie, which I find very funny because I think also like up in Canada, this is fully streaming on Disney Plus. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. That was funny watching it on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. I think it's really funny. There are some scenes that were scripted that, you know, we even shot and didn't make it into the film for various reasons. They're really great scenes and the performances are really great. But, you know, we were really just trying to tell a well-crafted, efficient story. There's a fun dance scene that's, you know, cut out of the movie where it's just our chosen family having fun. There's a really cool almost kiss between Noah and Will. Oh, I love um, it. I know, I know. But it was one too many almost kisses in the movie, I think was the issue. You know, a lot of really cool things that hopefully, you know, will get released as like DVD extras or something. So I'll get to the question that I think our audience is really interested in. For sure. It's the penises question. I think it was with Variety. You, you had a little chat about fighting for penises in the film. And ultimately, you lost. But instead of penises, they gave you as many butts as you want. <laughs> so I guess the question yeah. here is, how many butts? What's the final butt count? That's a really good question. Someone should try and, and do a count. Maybe that could be like a drinking game for people if they want to like post the screening. Every every butt, you know, that you see, just take a shot. I don't think it's that many butts, you know, like I, <laughs> I actually regret not putting more in. Like <laughs> I think with that arrangement, I should have maybe like pushed it to its limit to the point where they're like, hey, we know we promised you as many butts as you wanted, but you're kind of going overboard. I regret not doing that. Maybe next time. <laughs> I, like, I thought it was an appropriate amount of butts. I enjoyed yes. I enjoyed every, every butt was loved equally by me. <laughs> uh, I have one last butt question, if you will allow me. Okay, um, sure. <laughs> recently, Tom Holland said that in Spider-Man No Way Home, one of the three Spider-Men was wearing a stunt butt. And I was shocked. I was like, who's going to put a stunt uh, butt on one of these gorgeous men? However, it turns out it happens all the time in Hollywood. Did anyone in this film use a stunt butt or have a butt double? I don't think so. No stunt butts. No. Like, and, and no, I don't think there was any padding unless they like did it without telling costume or, you know, I don't know. Like the actors can do whatever they want. Everybody's butt is their butt in this movie. Authent yes. Authentic butts. Yeah. I love that. Authentic butts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I personally love Tomas Matos in this. Every scene they're in, they, they steal scenes. Like yeah. they're, they're amazing in this. Um, I know Gabby had, had her favorite scene or her favorite line. But do you have any like favorite scenes or moments in this movie? You know, I love every scene between Noah and Howie. I think Joel and Bowen's authentic friendship really brings a lot to their performances. They're, they're just a little bit extra, more grounded, more calm, more open and vulnerable with each other. And it's a real honor to get to like work with real life friends and to portray a part of their friendship on screen. You know, there are little things that like crack me up. I don't think are necessarily like jokes, but 
I think are so great. Like, I love that at the underwear party, Noah is trying to get Howie off the ground and like can't pull him up. But then Keegan comes up and, you know, has to take care of Howie and says, do you want to go to a party? And then Howie just like stands right up and then they like giggle off screen, you know, and it's such a joyous moment. And and I think also like Bowen and Tomas had so much fun on set. Like they are the silliest people with each other. And, you know, it's a really special friendship. So I was really happy to, you know, get a little bit of their energy like into the movie towards the end of the film you know after the big kind of rom-com moment when noah is watching his chosen family toast and drink and you know laugh with each other if you look really carefully matt rogers is trying to teach james scully who plays charlie how to uh like roll with the homies from <laughs> And if you look, it's really funny because Matt keeps tapping James and James is kind of engaged in another conversation. And then James finally does it. And it's so stupid funny. And very few people notice it, but it's great. Uh, The last thing I'll mention is, you know, there's a really sweet date moment where Noah and Will like are walking on the beach and it's a moment for them to actually get to know each other. And Will talks about how he's a lawyer, you know, for tenants' rights and ends in this like very romantic kind of slow-mo sequence set to Jay Wadley's really beautiful score. And then it's interrupted by Luke, played by Matt Rogers, being like, hey, so what happened? And if you look at that shot, it's the entire family. They're kind of looking over the banister and uh, watch... Tomas Matos, because they are giving the stupidest face. (laughs) I love it. And if you're not looking for it, you might miss it because they're, you know, like six faces on screen. But look at Tomas. Uh, They are having so much fun. Scene stealing every time. Yeah. I'm loving the layers. I'm loving that you really have to look to find. That's great. It's a fun like rewatch. You know, there's lots of little things because there are just so many cast members. Yeah, no, like I said, I've seen it three times and every time I'm like, I catch another funny line that I have to go downstairs and be like, you're not going to believe what they said in this movie. It's amazing. (laughs) Excellent writing throughout this whole thing. Like the brevity of it was really like, it was punchy. It was they didn't draw it out. I was like really impressed by that. I wanted to talk to you about queer representation because we're seeing, thankfully, like a lot more quality gay representation in the mainstream media lately. You know, you've got mm. Heartstopper, number one on Netflix for weeks. You know, Billy Eichner is making the movie Bros, which is going to be has an all gay crew, I believe, and it's going to be one of the first ever major studio gay rom coms. And now, of course, obviously Fire Island. Now, to me, that would seem like a super nerve wracking situation making this movie when you consider the fact that like. Not a lot of movies like this have ever been made, especially ones that aren't like it's not a gay story about gay tragedy. You know, like there is sad moments and there is a lot of heart in it, but there is also just so much joy. Did entering that sort of uncharted territory create any pressure for you making this film? You know, I think it's it was really helpful for me to come from indie film land and to kind of grown up in the film festival circuit, you know, because there are a lot of really great indie films that tackle, you know, queerness and, you know, even more specifically, like queer Asian American stories. Uh, It's just that they haven't gotten the marketing money behind them, you know. And so I was never really concerned about, you know, the kind of burden of being the first, because I know that Fire Island is actually part of a long legacy. And it's just a an underappreciated 
legacy. And so for me, the work is actually kind of now in like talking about the films that came before Fire Island that, you know, like walked so that we could run. I love the Alice Wu film Saving Face. Just a year before I released uh, my first feature, Spa Night, uh, there was another gay Asian American film directed by Ray Young called Front Cover. Like the stories exist. Um, And so I didn't necessarily feel that pressure in like a scary way. I definitely understood that like there was a significance to this just because of the platform that we had. But I I had kind of a Zen attitude about it where I was like, oh, like I'm just one little filmmaker in a galaxy of filmmakers. (laughs) Fire Island Beach. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, But yeah. and, And now I'm just like very happy that I get the opportunity to talk about these other movies. Yeah. Oh, it's so great to see it be given a platform because like movies like this deserve to be seen by people who aren't necessarily looking for them because that's like I found when I was growing up and looking for identifiable content like I wasn't 13 you know googling movies about Latin American representation like if I didn't come across them I wouldn't have found them and I think it's so great to that we're giving voice to this yeah I, I think that that's very real you know like I, I get that sometimes it's hard to find the the film that represents you you know because you don't always know where to look you don't even know how to you know identify it and so you know it's it's why I think it's really special to create a relationship with film festivals in your area you know um, because you have programmers who are doing the work for you you know like they're finding that cool work and so I think film festivals like Calgary International, you know, it, it's really great to see what are the programmers bringing to this community. That's your shout out, Adam. Yeah. Adam's our shorts programmer. <laughs> I'm the shorts programmer. So love, love a programmer shout out. Of course. <laughs> I guess we're kind of on the same topic of like the, the building pressures with coming to Fire Island because you're coming from indie film, like you said, Spa Night, um, Driveways. This was probably, I would imagine, a bigger budget um, and working with a studio as well. How were those kind of pressures? How did you handle those as like a filmmaker? Was it was it difficult? Yeah, you know, um, it, it is really difficult because with an indie film, you know, especially like one like Spa Night, uh, which was very personal, you can make a lot of decisions uh, internally. You know, uh, it's I'm making this choice because it feels right to me. But with Uh, studio films, uh, because someone is writing the checks and the checks are pretty sizable, you have to articulate every choice you're making. We had to do a presentation about, you know, who we were casting, our locations, the way we're going to shoot it, the hair and makeup, like the costuming, you know, everything had to be presented. And that takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. And it's a complicated process because you know, you're going to get questioned. And sometimes when you're questioned, you second guess yourself. And sometimes that leads to, you know, better filmmaking. And then sometimes that leads to like making a mistake, you know, like you should have trusted your instincts, but actually you flinched. And so for me, I I think it was really important that I made two other features before this in a more independent model, because I, I could understand my process, I could understand why I like to make certain choices. And it gave me a bit more 
of a foundation to stand on, you know, when having these conversations with a studio. I, I feel very lucky that I, I, you know, came of age as a, you know, independent filmmaker. And, you know, I think I'll continue to make independent films in the future. I can't I, wait I know. to see them. You know, obviously there's a lot of incredibly talented Asian Americans in the cast, you know, particularly Joel, who also wrote the film and stars in it, does a fantastic job as the lead. What did it mean to you to tell this story with the Asian American perspective kind of in mind? And what do you hope people will take away from watching the film who maybe have never been privy to that experience? You know, uh, it was so special for me to tell another Asian American story, especially one about friendship. You know, I explored other aspects of the Asian American experience in Spawnite and in Driveways. You know, Spawnite is very much a solitary coming of age story. And, you know, Driveways is more about family. Fire Island is about a, a friendship at, at its core. Noah and Howie, you know, brought together by shared experiences, but then also, you know, wrestling with their differences. That to me was just really exciting and, and special and, you know, made me want to do the film, even though I've never directed a rom-com and never really saw myself directing a rom-com. But, you know, the themes of this were really special to me. You know, what do I hope people take away from the film? You know, I hope that they see that queer Asian Americans, like that we aren't a monolith. It's not like we all have the same exact experience. You know, we actually have very different experiences. I, I love that Noah and Howie have very different perspectives on love, you know, and relationships. Um, they want different things. And then on a kind of grander scale, I hope that people watch this film and you know, are excited to hang out with their friends. I, I do think that, you know, it's a really hard world that we live in. And sometimes we need to retreat and just like self-care. Um, yes. I also think that it's important that we don't forget about the people who have supported us and that we support them and, you know, they support us back. You know, it's kind of strength in numbers that we can create a better world and for ourselves and for others. And so I, I hope people like celebrate their friendships and go on a trip together, like have fun, you know, you don't necessarily have to like do drugs and like, you know, stumble upon <laughs> Go to orgies. orgies like, yeah. <laughs> but you can like hang out with each other and, and just like refuel and like celebrate each other. So you mentioned coming from the festival circuit and we had the pleasure of screening driveways at uh, SIF 2019, the festival that was right before the pandemic. So the last real festival. Um, and I have to give another programmer shout out to our programmer, Guy Lavely, who programs our U.S. Indies. And he was the one that brought Driveways and you to the festival. Hell yeah, Guy. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I got He's to see He's the best. He is, <laughs> he is the best. And I got to see it before the festival and I loved it. And I was championing it to anyone I could talk to, my friends and family. Like, you have to go see this when it comes to the festival. And okay. so I told my parents and my mom and dad both came to see it. They saw you were there. You did a Q&A. And then afterwards I talked to them and I was like, hey, what did you think of the movie? My mom was like, the movie was good. I liked it. But I really loved Andrew's talk afterwards. He has such high emotional intelligence, is what she said. And I was like, I didn't really think about that. But I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, he, he just gets it. <laughs> and, and that was super cool to hear. Like, I've never heard my mom say emotional intelligence, I don't think. Before. That's cool. Um, I'm, I'm, like, very glad that I could um, spark that conversation between you and your mom. <laughs> my question is, what was your experience like coming to Calgary screening that 
that film here? Yeah, I'd never been to Calgary before. Um, so it was really, you know, it was like super uh, exciting just to explore the city. And, you know, my producer uh, on driveways, Joe Pirro, also came to the festival and we drove out to Banff you know, just to like check it out. And it was so gorgeous. We had some really great meals in Calgary. Uh, and then Calgary, Sif uh, was playing Parasite. And that was the first time I saw Parasite. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a fun movie to watch with, you know, a crowd. And I remember the programmer presenting it, you know, started talking about the film and was just like, the less you know, the better. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, what is this movie going to be? And, you know, I, I just had so much fun. It, it was a really cool trip. And uh, this was pre-pandemic. And, you know, just that opportunity to connect with the programmers, you know, Guy, like, took us out to drinks. And, you know, it was really fun just to talk to him about, you know, the independent film scene there. And I really love that kind of sense of community that film festivals can can provide you. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, we'll have, we'll have to have you back. I'd love in that. Some, yeah. In some new year. Yeah. The time has come for the question that every guest must answer on our wonderful podcast. Okay. What is your most embarrassing festival story? This is maybe less embarrassing for me and just kind of like embarrassing for people. But like uh, the number of times I've been mistaken for like someone else at a film festival is like, kind of uh, silly. My favorite story about that is I had a meeting set up with a potential agent at Sundance. And I was waiting for the meeting. I was just like sitting at the bar and that agent came up to me and he said, hey, I have another meeting with a, a different filmmaker, but I just wanted to come up to you and say, I'm so excited for your film you know, Swiss Army Man, it's like, I hear so many amazing things about Daniel it. Kwan. Um, the best. <laughs> and they thought I was Daniel Kwan. And I had to be like, hey, actually, no, uh, like, I am your, your meeting. I'm Andrew <laughs> and, and he was really embarrassed. He but, should be. Uh, and I didn't sign with him. Yeah. Um, I was mistaken for Daniel Kwan a couple of other times oh, that trip. True. I think it had just something to do with like, you know, being Asian. And then also like we both had like facial hair and it was a very goofy Sundance. But that was my my festival kind of like fun story. We love that. We get a lot of embarrassing stories here. We ask for them deliberately because we love them so much. That's actually an excellent one. And, you know, let's give, let's give Andrew a hand for an excellent embarrassing story and an excellent interview. If you'll stick around for a few more minutes, we're going to play some games. Cool. It's time to play I Can't Believe It's Not Bechdel. Recently, there was some controversy on Twitter regarding Fire Island and the Bechdel test, which, for those of you who don't know, is a test that measures female representation. Despite all of that hullabaloo, Alison Bechdel herself has certified Fire Island as a pass, saying any film in which two men talk to each other about the female protagonist of an Alice Monroe story in a screenplay directed on a Jane Austen novel is a pass. Um, to celebrate this win, we've come up with a new game. In this game, we will give Andrew the title of five films, and it's up to him to guess whether they whether or not they pass the Bechdel test. Andrew, are you ready? Uh, I think so. 
It's not going to be hard. It's not going to be hard. All right. Ready? Let's start with an easy one. The entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, does it pass the Bechdel test? Is it or is it not? Maybe not. Does it pass? I, I'm going to I'm going to say I'm going to say no. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Absolutely. There's only three women in the whole film and they live on different realms. Ten, I believe. Ten hours. Uh, right. Ten hours of movie. Right. And you can't wow, get two yeah. female characters talking. That's pretty Listen, wild. it's all about who it was for. Um, <laughs> next one is uh, The Hunger Games. The original Hunger Games from 2012. The very first movie. The very first one. Uh, I'm going to say it does pass. Yes. Correct. It does okay, pass yeah. the Bechdel test right at the beginning of the film. Katniss and her sister have a conversation about how afraid she is, uh, which is not a conversation about a man. And both girls are named. Next one. How to lose a guy in 10 days. Oh, you know, I saw this so long ago <laughs> that I barely remember. I'm going to say no. Uh, your first wrong oh, it one. Does pass. It does pass. Kate Hudson <laughs> okay. has a lot of uh, friends in that film. And they do talk okay. about stuff like their mission in life. Next one, A Star is Born, the Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper version. Uh, uh, it doesn't pass? It did not pass. You're actually very, very good at this. <laughs> yeah. That one I thought was going to be the trickiest one because if you think Gaga, you're like, of course. It, in fact, did not pass the Bechdel test at all. Isn't it mostly just the two of them? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. really just the two of them. Yeah. 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 Here's one. Here's the hardest one. We saved it for last. Okay. Jackie Brown. Oh, the fact that you said it's the hardest one is now making me like second guess like my gut instincts. Or did I say um, that on purpose to trick you? I know. <laughs> um, I'm going to say it doesn't pass. It doesn't pass. Very, wow. very good. Andrew. Four out of five. Wow, Four out of five. I'll take it. Amazing. I'll take it. Four out of five is certainly not bad. I think we're ready to play your game, Adam. Why are you booing me? I'm right. Um, in this game, uh, we give our guests some time on the air to give their hot takes, stating a controversial opinion about movies or the world of film. So this is either something that everyone hates but you love or something everyone loves and you just can't stand. So do you have a, a hot take? Uh, my hot take is, I wonder if this is like a little bit of a filmmaker nerd hot take. Oh, please. Um, You're talking to a film festival. Give us all <laughs> your filmmaker great. nerd stuff. I love watching movies on a little airplane screen. Um, <laughs> I actually think that uh, sometimes it's better than like watching it in a theater. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I think it's because, one, uh, there's nothing else to do. So that's like a really like important thing. You're sitting there like you need to pass the time. Weirdly, there's something about because, you know, you're on an airplane, you'll like watch things that you might not spend. Oh, money that's on. so true. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can lead to like really cool discoveries. My aunt is a Delta uh, flight attendant and like she would see people watching my movie and tell people that, you know, <laughs> that, uh, I, that she's related to the director, which I thought was really funny. But yeah, I, I think airplane movies, it's like kind of can't say a bad thing about it. It's a good thing you mentioned Letterboxd because our next game features Letterboxd quite heavily. It's time oh, okay. to play One Star Reviews. In 
leaving one-star reviews, the game where you try to guess film by hearing a bad review, your film because your film is a reimagining of Pride and Prejudice, each movie will be a Jane Austen adaptation. Right. Ten minutes in, I said, is she going to fuck her stepbrother? Thirty minutes later, I said, she's definitely going to fuck her stepbrother. I, who would give Clueless a one-star review? <laughs> <laughs> who would do that? that is a terrible person. It is um, Clueless. Yes. Those people did not learn how to do writing with the homies. I know. <laughs> they never learned. Um, here's the second one. Cinema has been around for over a century, and yet Colin Firth and Hugh Grant fighting each other on a random street in London while it's raining men by the weather girls plays in the background. It's still the best scene in cinematic history. Uh, Bridget Jones, right? It is Bridget Jones's yeah. diary. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you might set a record for how many points we've got in one episode. If you get this, I'm going to be very, very impressed. Okay. This movie slammed when it was on my mom's minivan built-in backseat DVD player in 2007. But even notorious gay ally Hilary Duff can't save this one. What? Around the year 2007. Is it the like the Lizzie Bennett diaries or something? Is that the one? Or am I like totally wrong? It's not. <laughs> it's uh, Material on. Girls, uh, which is a movie she made with her sister oh. Haley Duff. And it was a sort of a sense and sensibility adaptation in which they go from rags, uh, from riches to rags and then learn to adapt. Uh, a lot of problematic <laughs> statements about being broke in that movie. But uh, we love uh, Hilary Duff anyway. <laughs> would, that movie was never on my radar and now it is. And if it's on an airplane, I'll watch it. <laughs> there you go. You've missed nothing. Trust me. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us today. You were so much fun. Uh, you did great on the games and uh, come to Calgary anytime and we'll have you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on the pod. And, and yeah, like hopefully I'll be able to go in person again one day. We hope so. We hope so. Fire Island is available on Disney Plus and has been since June 3rd. So if you haven't watched it, what are you doing? Get to it. Thank you so much for listening to Movie Night with Sif. Say bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Okay, that's a wrap. Bye.